Welcome to episode four of Kept Secrets. I'm your host, Nikki Rothrock. This podcast is a way that I try and help anyone who has experienced childhood trauma. Today, we're going to discuss my anger toward the manipulation monster. Content of this podcast will discuss childhood sexual trauma and child rape, so listener discretion is advised. Hi, and thanks for coming back. This is episode four. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the reading. It's kind of a long um, blog entry from 2012. Remember um, when I'm reading, if I accidentally say Abby, that is me referring to my inner child and myself as a child. So I've, I've tried to make the changes, but of course, I may have missed one or two. So anger toward the manipulation monster begins. Over the last few years, I've wanted to start this writing process, but keep delaying because I was scared of how I would feel reliving the daily trauma while writing. Yesterday, my neighbor Jane and I were watching a movie, and I found myself becoming angry while watching a scene in the movie. The movie was about a man approaching a 16-year-old girl and trying to get her to have sex with him. The feelings I had in the moment were so intense that I had to get up and walk out of my house. Luckily for me, Jane and I have been friends since I was 17, and she understands when I have these kinds of feelings. She came outside to talk to me. I'm just so freaking angry, I said to her. Abby never had a chance to have a normal life, and I'm angry for her. I just can't understand why anyone would do the things that Tom did. I don't really want to understand it, but I'm still pissed that she was taken advantage of because she was so naive and innocent. This anger emotion is new for me. When I was in treatment with Beth starting in 1996, I don't remember feeling angry at Tom for his abusive behavior. I was angry with my mom and what seemed like everyone else, but not him. I could only say it was the manipulation and the deep-seated abusive ways of Tom, who I was trying to protect. I'm so sick of protecting someone who clearly had no interest in protecting me or my family. Instead, he used each one of us for his own sick and twisted pleasures. I keep remembering when I was in my treatment with Beth. She used to tell me that Tom was wired differently than other people, and there was no way I could understand why he did what he did. I think the thing that really bothers me is that in recent weeks, I've reconnected with Abby, or myself, Nikki, my inner child, and honestly, I feel bad for her, heart-sinkingly bad for her, and the daily torture that she grew to know and to know as her way of life. I wish it could have protected her from Tom's evil, manipulative ways, but how could I have protected her when he was so good at the manipulation game? This is where Beth would tell me to stop discounting Nikki's feelings. Nikki was a young girl when she met Tom. Tom is the one who chose to use her for his own evil ways. He lied, manipulated, and used Nikki in ways that others would never fully understand unless they had lived through it too. The anger festers in me as an adult. Let me start over. The anger festers in me because, as an adult, I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, recurrent depression, and anxiety because of the abuse. 
I struggle with every relationship I have with men and women. Living with PTSD is like having old movies of my childhood replaying in my head while I'm trying to so desperately, I'm trying so desperately to live a normal life. I've gotten better at times. Man, I'm really messing this up. Sorry, guys. I've gotten better as as time has gone on about being able to experience a flashback and not let anyone else know what I'm seeing or feeling inside. Sometimes the emotions may show, but trying to explain this terrible experience only makes me feel foolish in front of others. My brother once told me that I needed to, quote, just get over it, unquote. I would have to say that was one of the most hurtful statements I've ever heard. I sacrificed a lot as a child and a teen to protect Jake and my mother from the wrath of Tom. No one understands what that feels like. I'm taken back to the age of 11, two years into the abuse, when this incident happened. It was a summer afternoon and I was doing dishes. Mom was at work and Jake was outside playing. Tom came barging into the kitchen, visibly angry about something. He started yelling at me. Did you take a phone message for me yesterday? I said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. He started screaming at me the way he did when he was losing control. The vein in his forehead would stick out and his eyes would become red and full of evil. Don't fucking lie to me, Nikki. I know that you took the message from Peggy and you didn't tell me. I turned around to make eye contact and became very confused. Peggy was his high school girlfriend and she recently had been, he had recently been trying to reach her for some unknown reason. He was not yet married to my mom. I didn't understand why he was so angry and full of rage. It was at that moment that Jake came walking into the kitchen innocently. Tom charged at him in his rage and pinned him against the back door and began screaming at him. Jake had a look of surprise and fear on his seven-year-old face. He had no idea why he was being screamed at and held against the door by his mother's by our mother's boyfriend. As Tom screamed at Jake, I yelled for Tom to leave him alone. Just then, Tom pulled back his fist and then started hitting Jake. One punch after another. I ran over to Tom and I grabbed a fistful of his hair and tried to pull him off of Jake, who was trying to protect himself, himself from Tom's raging blast. Tom finally backed up from Jake, who fell to the floor crying. I ran... back over and stood in front of the sink yelling at Tom telling him I had no idea why he was so mad about something that we didn't know anything about he stopped and looked at me still very angry he picked up a glass sitting on the counter and threw it at me aiming just above my head the glass shattered and he stormed out of the room I stood there trying to compose myself and I ran over to Jake who was still sitting on the floor sobbing I picked him up from the floor and all I remember is him asking what did I do I had to comfort him and tell him it would be okay and that I wouldn't let Tom do that to him again later that day when mom came home I asked her if she had taken a phone message for Tom she said she was half asleep and she forgot to tell him she said she would take care of it Tom was still angry when mom told him that it was her who took the phone call and not us he never apologized to me or Jake for letting for getting so angry He just went on about his day like nothing happened. I'm angry for Jake and I'm angry for Abby. I'm angry that no one protected us from his wrath. Sometimes when Tom would be angry with my mother, he would take his anger out on me. 
If he was mad at Jake or someone else, he would take it out on me. Usually he wouldn't punish me in a physically abusive way, but he would be clingy to me, a young girl who trusted and loved him. He would tell me that I didn't make him feel the way that my mother did, and he loved me more than I knew. Ugh. As a young girl, I craved that kind of positive attention from him and anyone else who offered it to me. As a woman, I'm angry that he used my innocence the way that he did. It's hard for me to trust men now, and when they tell... It's hard for me to trust men now when they tell me that they love me, as I always wonder what condition will show its ugly face. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can remember one Christmas. This is a trigger warning. I can remember one Christmas when I was punished by Tom and my mother for something that I'm sure most children who have divorced parents do. I went shopping with my dad for Christmas for his wife. While I was there with him, I was melting over a pair of gray suede ankle boots. Don't judge. It was the 90s and they were in style. Actually, they're probably back in style. The night before, I was at the same store with my mom and she refused to spend the $10 on the boots. So when I was there with my dad, I was determined to get him, get the boots from him as a Christmas gift. After a short time of begging him for the boots, he caved and said I could have them, but I had to wait a couple of weeks until Christmas. I was so excited when I got home that Sunday night, I told my mom about it. My mom became angry and told Tom to deal with me because she was so pissed. This is when Tom released some sick, twisted punishment I've only experienced but never heard of before. He took me into his and my mother's bedroom and paddled me a few times. Not before he pleaded with me, that he was only doing this because my mother told him he had to. He said, you know I love you and don't want to hurt you, but your mom told me that I had to, so bend over and let's get this over with. I cried and became more confused by his words. He told me he loved me, yet he was paddling me like I had done something wrong. You would think he would have just acted like he was paddling me, but no, he swung full force into my body with the paddle. I cried and I pleaded for him to stop, but he kept going as though he couldn't stop. After the paddling, I thought my punishment was over. This is the trigger warning. I walked back into the living room where my mom was sitting on the couch watching TV and doing some work. I was crying uncontrollably, but there was no sympathy in the room. Next, Tom told me to stand, on the corner, stand in the corner of the room to continue my punishment. He walked into the kitchen and came back with something in his hands. He said, stand on your tippy toes. I turned around to see that he had toothpicks in his hands. I stood on my tippy toes and he put the toothpicks under the heels of my feet. I was instructed not to touch the wall and to stand there what felt like, until he felt like I had to, that I had learned my lesson. He said, you can't go against what your mother told you. She told you that you couldn't have the damn boots. So now, maybe you'll think about it again before you use your father and try to get what you want. I stood in the corner as mom and Tom watched TV. I think if I were the size of an average 10-year-old child, I would have been able to handle the pain of the toothpicks in the heels of my feet. I was not a normal 10-year-old girl. I was very overweight and forced to stand there like that for more than two hours. My mom and Tom sat in the room going on about their night as I stood there counting the seconds. 
If Tom saw me touching the wall, trying to balance myself, he would add more time to my punishment. After my punishment was over, I went upstairs to my room and cried. The funny thing is that I was still happy that I got the boots my dad from my dad that year for Christmas. I'm not saying that the punishment was worth it, but it only made me feel that my dad truly loved me and my mom didn't. When I went to my dad's the next weekend, I told him that I got in trouble for asking for him asking him to buy the boots for me. He didn't say anything. The anger is still growing inside of me right now as I write to you. I can't explain how good it feels to finally be mad at Tom. I remembered another horrible event in my life. This is a serious trigger warning. The one before wasn't so much such a trigger warning because it was just punishment and a little bit of abuse, but this next one is a serious trigger warning. I can't explain how good it feels to finally be mad at Tom. I'm reminded of another horrible event in my life. I was 12 years old and Tom's friend John came to our house to see Tom. This Saturday afternoon, I was doing housework while mom was gone to work and Tom was gone fishing with Jake. John came to the door and asked if Tom was home. I told him he wasn't and I thought he had left and would come back later when Tom came back. I was wrong. I was sweeping the floor and I heard the bell on the door. This meant that the door was opening. This is the same kind of bell I currently have on my front door when my dog has to go outside. He can ring it with his paw. It took me a split second to realize what was getting ready to happen. John was charging through the front door and coming at me. I panicked inside and took off running from him. He had a mission and it wasn't gonna be a, a good afternoon for me once he was gone. After he chased me through my house and up to my room, he violently raped me on the floor of my bedroom. I was 12 and he was 19. When he finished, he got up to leave and I sat on my floor crying. He was just one more person who was breaking me inside and out. After a few minutes, I got up off the floor and stumbled down the stairs to our bathroom. I stood there in a daze and later realized it was the effect of the trauma I had just experienced. I cried for a few more minutes and then emotionally shut down. I ran a bath to get the filth off of my body from John. After my scalding hot bath, I went into the living room and sat in the recliner in the fetal position and waited for someone to come home. A little while later, Tom and Jake came in the back door of the house. I was still sitting on the chair in the fetal position, rocking back and forth. When Tom walked into the room, he knew something was wrong instantly. He quickly rocked, walked over to me and knelt in front of me. I never made eye contact with him. He gently asked me, Nikki, what's wrong? I st was still staring into space and I said, John came to see you. I think he knew something was wrong by my behavior. Nikki, are you okay? Did something happen when John was here? I replied with one word, yes. He grabbed me, pulled me up, and hugged me. I was still in a traumatic daze and emotionless. He told me he would take care of it and John wouldn't hurt me again. Can you see where I would be confused in this situation? Here was my abuser comforting me and telling me he would protect me from another abuser. He was very gentle with me and knew how fragile I was that afternoon. John came back later that day and Tom, Tom talked to him in the garage. John didn't come back for about a year or so. Tom wouldn't let me tell my mom because he was doing the same thing and couldn't risk getting caught. So Tom made me feel like he would protect me from 
that ever happening again. I trusted Tom and I felt safe with him. I didn't have this kind of attachment with anyone else in my life at that time. I clung to him more now and the manipulation became more entangled as each day passed. I found out about a year ago that John had raped a girl in our neighborhood a year before I became his victim. This girl's mother came to my mom to warn her about what he had done. My mom became angry at this girl's mom and refused to listen to her. This is just a little side note. Um, This girl's mom came to tell her what John had done to her daughter and also let her know that Tom had made inappropriate passes at her daughter and she was just letting my mom know. Just wanted to I did not have that information in my my journal. So John went to jail for a few months, and once he got out, I became his next victim. I didn't report the attack until I was 16 years old. I was in one of my first sessions with Beth, and after telling her about the attack, she told me she had a duty to report it to the police. So I went to to the detective again and had to give another statement. There was no physical evidence of the attack, so nothing was ever legally done to him. That attack alone was more physically traumatic for me than any of the others. And you'll, you'll understand more about, quote, the others later. The feeling of fear still haunts me when I have a flashback. I'm able to control it a little bit more, but knowing this man, John, lives only a few miles away from me makes Nikki, my inner child, anxious at times. I remember a couple of instances before John attacked me that he asked me if Tom was using me for sexual favors. I've always wondered if Tom gave John permission to attack me to keep his secret safe. Again, I still believe these kinds of predators lurk around our society in clans and they seek out their victims based on their levels of severity and getting caught. Does that make sense? Back to the manipulation monster, also known as Tom. During one therapy session, Beth used an, used an example of a pipe being filled with crap. Just stuff full of crap on top of crap on top of crap. She said, this was my mental thinking and the manipulation compiled on top of things that I learned growing up. She said that during our treatment together, we would be pulling out the crap pieces, piece by piece, and replace it with healthy thoughts and boundaries. It took me many years and a lot of hard work to get where I am today. I still have thinking errors almost daily about Tom. I think about my inner child and how she was a survive, in survival mode almost her entire, all of her, let me say that again. I think about my inner child and how she was in survival mode for almost her entire life. It's sad to me and makes me very angry that no one noticed. By no one, I mean my mother or someone who saw me each day. Although I should say that I became very good at hiding things from the outside world, when it came to Tom and our situation. Due to trusting Tom and being deeply attached to him, I also tried to protect him and his ways. I felt that if he went away, I wouldn't be able to survive without him. How messed up is that? Well, it was my reality every single day growing up. (coughs) Excuse me. The hardest part about making the transition from victim to survivor of childhood sexual abuse and neglect is changing my thinking. It is something I work on every single day. I still have red flag moments and I'm still trying to understand our pro- or process the mental manipulation 
that I endured during my developing years. Some might think I suffered from Stockholm Syndrome, but that's not the case. I deeply suffer from another disorder, Traumatic Bond Attachment Disorder. And I'll explain that more in a later post. And that is the end of my journal entry. So some of the talking points I wanted to talk about. Just this past weekend, um, I found some papers. I've been looking for my journals so that I could share them with you guys. And I'm not having any luck finding them. You would think that I would have put them in a safe place. It probably was a safe place and so safe that I don't know where they are. So anyway, I was looking for them and my husband um, got some things out of the garage for me and I found um, some papers that I had written to Beth, my psychologist, during the hardest and worst panic attack I've ever had. Um, I want to say it was like, It was more than five pages, less than 10. There was a lot of information in there. There was a lot of stuff that I really wouldn't even feel comfortable sharing with you guys, even though I've shared a lot of deep stuff with you. After reading those, I was really struggling and I was talking to my husband about it. And because I I have to process things before I go to sleep or I tend to have nightmares or don't sleep. So I have to process it, acknowledge it, and move past it. So that night, my husband and I were discussing it, and he said, you know, I'm really surprised that you've never made this connection. And I'm like, what connection? And he said, look at how your mother reacted when the neighbor came over and accused Tom of doing something. She got angry. She was pissed. She was yelling at this woman, telling her to get off her property, and she was was just really mad about it. I was like, yeah, because my mom was just like that. She She didn't want anybody telling her what to do. She did her own thing, and you weren't going to prove her wrong in anything. Um... And then he went on to say, so she got angry about that. And then, and he, and this whole time he's kind of making me remember these things and he's trying to jog my memory. And he's like, and you remember when Tom left? And I was like, yeah, she came to my work and she was really pissed and she was screaming at me and asked me what I did to piss him off. So he left and he's like, yeah, she was really upset. And I was like, yeah. And he said, how did she react when you told her about the abuse? And I was like, she really didn't have a reaction. We were in a car and I was sitting behind her and I had just gotten suspended from school because I was being a smart-ass kid and I got in trouble. So that day, I went with my mom on her paper route and I was sitting behind her and we had just gone to McDonald's and we were getting ready to start this four-hour, four or six-hour long paper route um, because Tom wasn't there to help her anymore. So she had to do the whole thing by herself. 
So here we go. We're, you know, sitting in the car and I was like, hey, um, what would you do if I said that Tom had been messing with me? And I could see her eyes through the rearview mirror, but that was all I could see. And she's like, well, that depends. Has he? And I said, yes. Now, you would think that um, that she would have gotten pretty angry, realizing that her husband of less than six years, because the abuse started before they even got married, that you would think that she would have gotten angry. But she didn't. She sat there. She drove. She listened to me talk. I didn't give her any details, like serious details, because that was just something I didn't think was appropriate. Um, and she told me that she felt like at that moment, a lot of puzzles, puzzle pieces fell into place. But she didn't get mad. And so my husband was like, she got mad when somebody accused him of being inappropriate. She got mad at you when he left, but she didn't get mad when she found out that her husband was having sexual relations with her daughter. She didn't get mad. And so I thought about that. My husband and I were working a puzzle and I literally just couldn't get out of my own head. And I was like, what do you think that means? Like, we, you know, every few minutes I would bring something up. And, and he said, well, you know, it kind of seems like she already knew that it was happening. And I was like, no, she didn't know. I'm 43 years old. And the thought of that broke my heart. Now... I don't think that mom knew. I've said this in my other podcasts. I don't think that she knew fully what was happening. I do think that she turned a blind eye to a lot of things. Um, My husband made a comment. He's like, you know, I only think that because you were so accessible to Tom and you spent a lot of time with him and alone with him. And she always took your brother. And I was like, Yeah, but mom trusted him. You know, you don't think as a grown adult that your adult boyfriend or love interest, I guess for her at the time, this was even before they were together, you wouldn't think that he would be having sex with your nine-year-old child. So giving her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, I didn't think that this was the case. Now, it still did not set well with me. I think this was just this past Friday night, and I, or no, maybe it was Thursday night. I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was in recent days, and it just really messed with my thoughts, and it was like, you know, if my mom knew, excuse me, if she knew everything that was going on back then, Shame on her. 
Shame on her for allowing her daughter to go through that kind of torture. And that's kind of all I want to say about it. You know, my husband made a comment that she was very quick to um, push me off on people. And this is just what he's gathered from things that I've talked about in the past. Like, you know, as a, a small child, even before Tom came into our lives, I remember spending time with people I didn't know. And it would be days. There would be weekends where her and my brother's dad would go to the racetrack for the whole weekend. And I would be left with some people who didn't even have furniture in their house. Like, they were questionable people. Now, granted, nothing happened to me that I can remember. But, you know, it's like, come on. You have this little child. You know, you can't just pawn her off on people. And so, you know, I, I just shame on her if that was the case. That's all I want to say. So, um, another thing that I want to talk about is post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is something that for so many years I suffered from it and I didn't know that that's what it was. So, for example... Um, there could be an intimate moment with my husband or, um, just an intimate moment. Now it doesn't mean that there you're in, you're having full sex or whatever. It's just a moment. And in my brain, my brain likes to trick me sometimes. And it's like, Hey, remember when this happened? Remember when he did this? Remember when this was done to you? And I'm like, freaking really? Stop. This is not the time. So that's kind of how I have to treat it as like this <laughs> um, intruder in my thoughts because it it happens a lot. You know, I could be driving and my mind wanders. And then the next thing I know, I'm remembering a specific instance and I'm remembering exactly what happened. Things that I normally wouldn't think about. Um, you know, my thoughts are triggered by music that I listened to back in those years. My thoughts are triggered by, um, movies that, that I watched back in that time. Um, they are, they're very finicky. (laughs) So basically it's, it's like, a. Sorry, we have a dog that needs to go outside. We have, so the thoughts are like, um, they're just intrusive. Hold on one second. Okay, sorry. When the dogs want to go outside, I can't really pause because I don't know how to use the podcast software. Anyway, back to what I was saying. I'm sorry. Um. So the thoughts can be pretty intrusive and come at very, very random times. Um, Probably, I've only had like two really bad PTSD moments or attacks. Um, I guess that's what I call them, episodes. 
So one was, I was sitting in Beth's office and we were going through some of my treatment and we were discussing um, all of the perpetrators in my life and that will come later. A little nugget of info there. So we're, I'm sitting there and she's, she's asking me to describe it just a little bit, not in detail. And then all of a sudden my eyes locked on this picture behind her. It was like above her left shoulder and my eyes just locked and I could hear her talking, but in my brain instantly, I heard the bell on the door from the, from the um, attack from Jake. Nope. John, Jake was my brother. Anyway, um, I, I could hear the bell. And then in that moment, I felt that fear and it was seriously intense and I could hear Beth, but like, again, I'm staring at this picture and the thought, you know, my brain is just going through this attack and she's I can hear her say, Nikki, where are you? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Come back to me. Like, where are you? What's happening? And it took probably about five minutes, five very long minutes. It took about five minutes for me to like shake my head and come out of the trance of staring at this picture above her shoulder. And I just looked at her and she's like, what happened? And I just started crying. Couldn't stop crying. And I explained it to her and I was like, I just felt that fear. And I heard that bell and, and I, it just, it just all came rushing back. Um, so that is considered a post-traumatic stress disorder episode. So after I, you know, she tried to calm me down and get me back to my reality. And after I have a really bad attack like that, I have to be reminded that this, this is my rea- this moment of where I am, what I'm doing, you know, if like right now I'm sitting at my dining room table, my dogs are outside, my cat is laying in his bed, laundry's in the washer, like I'm just sitting here and this is my reality. My reality is not being attacked at 12 years old. My reality is not having my clothes ripped off of me by a man who scares the hell out of me. That is not my reality. So when I when I left her office, um, I went back to work and I sobbed uncontrollably the entire way back to my office. And it was maybe a 10 minute drive. I get to work, I try to pull myself together and, and I couldn't do it. I, I was there maybe 40 minutes and I went to my boss and I was like, I need to go. And this was a job that you do not call in. You do not leave unless you're literally dying. Um, but she knew that I was going through this treatment. So she knew this must have been pretty serious because I couldn't stop crying. So she allowed me to leave. I called Beth's office. She was seeing another patient at the time. I drove back to her office. I sat in the parking lot across the street and I just cried and cried and cried. And it was like the fear was just so intense. And this was at this time hours later, you know, at least two hours later. So Beth finally calls me and I'm like, Beth, something is wrong. I don't, I, something I can't get, I can't get this out of my head. And she's like, well, I was afraid that that would happen because we didn't have a lot of time to bring you back to reality. So, so eventually 
she was able to talk me off of the ledge and get me to understand that that did happen a long time ago. And that, that yes, it did happen to me, but it's not happening now and it's not going to happen again because I know how to look at my surroundings and see, you know, she always told me as a, as a teenager and a, in my 20s, she always told me, trust your gut, trust your gut. And I'm telling you, trust your gut. If your gut tells you that this guy over here gives you the heebie-jeebies, steer clear of him because there's a reason that your gut is telling you that he's a creeper. Um, so anyway, she's, she was just telling me, she's like, you know, you are safe. John is not going to hurt you again because if he even tried, she's like, I'd feel sorry for him, which is true because I probably would lose my mind. Um, so I was able to bring it back down and that exhausted me. So I went home and I went to bed early and I tried to self-soothe. You know, she tried to get me to do like meditation and, and prayer. And th- prayer seemed to be my number one thing um, because I, I really, and I'll have an entire episode about my relationship with God and with Christ and how that relationship along with Beth, my best friend and another girlfriend and the small support system that I had got me through this. And, you know, one of my ladies, she's gone, she's dead. And I can't, I can't go to her. And she was like my mom, like a mom that I, I needed when I was growing up. So prayer is usually where I go. Um, I also talk to my best friend. I can still talk to Beth, um, but I try not to because I, I just don't want to annoy her with my problems. Um, I know she would welcome it, but I, you know, most of the time I can work through this stuff on my own. So that was one PTSD episode. And the other one is one that I'm going to lightly touch on in another episode because that's the stuff that I found, um, in my garage. And I was, I used the word disgusted. Um, with my friend Jane when I was talking to her about it recently. I was like, I have never used that word in describing how I, what I thought about my, my situation and what I had gone through. So she's like, it must have been pretty bad. I was like, yeah, I probably wouldn't even share it with her. And I have to edit it deeply. <laughs> Um, but I, I will share some of it with you guys. And, uh, and that was the other post-traumatic stress episode that I had that was truly life-changing. Um, excuse me. So that's about PTSD. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was the get over it comment that was said by my brother. Um, it is no secret Uh, to people who know me and a lot of you guys that are listening now know me Um, some of you don't but my brother Jake and I do not have a good relationship Um, 
I tried and tried and tried after my mom passed away or our mom passed away. But he kept putting me in situations where he was using using me for money, for transportation, you know, whatever he could, he would, he would use me. And I got tired of it. And I finally just said, I'm done. It was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm not going to talk to him again. Um, because I might. But, um, so that comment was said... It was before our mom passed away because we were at their apartment. And he said, well, I think I went over there because I was really pissed off and I I was really lashing out at my mom. And I was like, how did you not know? Blah, blah, blah. And my brother's like, you just need to get over it. And I was like, you need to piss off. Like, I was so hurt by that comment. Um, But... My brother is not a complete ass. Um, there, and I'm just going to tell you this really quickly. There was one time that he was telling me the story about him being out with like three other guys um, that were from the bowling alley that we all went to. And they were making fun of Tom and about, you know, who he was going to jail because of having sex with some girl or whatever. And my brother... <laughs> grabbed this guy's arm and he's like that's my sister shut the hell up like he defended me he said it differently than what I just said he was a lot more like I will kick your ass if you say that again and when he told me he was just telling me in passing you know like hey you know these guys and obviously they knew what was going on and And I stopped him and I told him to shut up because you were my sister. And during that conversation, I started crying. And he's like, oh my gosh. I was like, you really do love me. And he's like, no, I don't. Like, he was just like being kind of a weirdo about it. But that was something very special because behind my back at that time, I felt like he was protecting me. Um, But... Anyway, so my brother and I don't get along really well right now, but I hope in someday that that changes. Um, but, you know, somebody said to me the other day, they're like, how can the two of you be so different? And I looked at her and I said, therapy. <laughs> therapy, because I worked through the garbage that we grew up with, and he didn't. Um, the years that I was working on, Myself, he was still in it, like codependent with my mom. Um, They were very codependent on each other, you know, for money and whatever. I don't, I don't know, it was weird. So anyway, to wrap things up, um, because I only get an hour and we're at 43 minutes now. So wrapping things up, I just want you guys to understand that this what I read to you tonight was literally two to three instances things that happened to me in a six year period Um, the fight between uh, Tom and myself and him hitting my brother that was not always the case as far as him hitting him 
or myself, like, my brother got the physical anger from Tom. I got the other anger, you know, um, I can't, I don't know. It's just, it's so much like I, I remember, um, when we were in court and he had to go up and testify about why he did the things that he did. And his response was that he was depressed and he didn't know what he was, you know, he didn't know how to stop. Well, I'm just saying, if you're depressed, I mean, I don't know how a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old girl is going to make you feel better because first of all, she's prepubescent. Then she's going through puberty. Then she's a teenager where they're total assholes. So how in that time was I able to make him feel better? And I don't know. I, I did cling to him and I did try to encourage him um, with things. I know he did not have a good family life. Um, he was, it was a very dysfunctional family. Um, dad was abusive to all of his, him and his siblings. Um, his mom was very submissive to his dad and, um, it was very obvious that it, it was a dysfunctional family. Uh, but you knew that they loved each other, which is so twisted. But if you can take away all of the abuse and all of the the imperfections below that, there was love. And that love is something that I never had. So when I was around Tom, I felt a little bit of that love and protection. And... <clears throat> It took me until my 20s to be able to approach my mother and ask her why she didn't love me. And I'll discuss that another time. But um, so for tonight, I am done. I'm really sorry if I messed up any of my reading. Like I said, it's not one of my strong things that I'm just not a, a reader. Uh, I don't even like to read books, to be honest with you. <laughs> So podcasts are my new favorite thing. That's kind of why I picked this one up because I'm hoping and praying that out there somewhere is a girl or a boy who has gone through this and they have reached their limit of bullcrap to handle and that this offers them a little bit of hope and knowing that therapy is not just a gimmick. It's not just somebody looking at the clock, you know, taking your money. When you find that right therapist or psychologist or psychiatrists are a little different, but when you find the right social worker, the therapist, whatever, and you guys really work together, it can seriously change your life. So if there, if you know anyone that's struggling, you know, I've, I'm constantly referring people. I'm like, you know, if, if this bothers you, go to a therapist. Talk about it with somebody that's objective, you know, because it does work. But I promise, if you want it to work, you have to work at it. Because there were so many weeks that I had homework, things I did not want to do, you know, whether it be 
going to some of the old spots that Tom would stop and do things to me on, on these dark, on these country roads. I have to go back there eventually. So that is all. I hope that you have a great week and I hope that you make good choices till next time.